You're listening to the teaching ministry of Anchor Church. We exist to connect each person to Jesus, His Word, and His mission. We hope this message encourages you in your faith and guides you closer to Jesus. For more information, visit us at anchorchurchcsra.com. Thank you for joining us today. May this message draw you closer to God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to get there in just a second. Tonight we are wrapping up our Church Hurt series, and the title for tonight's message is Our Commitment to Peacemaking. And can we do that tonight, guys? Can we just make a commitment out front, straight away, that we're going to commit to peacemaking together? Because here's the one thing I know about everyone in this room this evening is that you want to live at peace with those around you, right? I don't know a single person in here, maybe you're like this, I don't know, but I doubt it. I bet every person in here wouldn't say, I bet a thousand at peacemaking, none of us do. We all struggle with it in some ways, but you would at least say, I want healthy relationships. I want to live at peace with people around me. And so, can we make that commitment together? Yeah? Can we do that straight out the gate? Let's commit to peacemaking together. Last week, we talked about a Band-Aid. All of you had a Band-Aid in your seats. We talked about how we say all the time in our culture, let's just put a Band-Aid on it, and how that's a negative thing. That means that we do not deal with the problem. We just slap a Band-Aid on it and move on. But that's actually not what a Band-Aid's for. In case you missed last week, I'm just gonna recap that illustration. A Band-Aid is to protect the wound that exists from anything that would compromise the healing process. You remember that? And so we don't want anything to get in the way of healing wounds that you and I have from conflict, especially conflict in the church. And things get in the way all the time, right? We unpacked a lot of those barriers last week, selfishness, pride, uh, just sin in general, All right, it gets in the way. And so tonight, we're not only talking about a commitment to peacemaking, but we're gonna get some real tools for uh, just living peaceably among men so far as it depends on us. And so I want you to think about your phone for a second or your computer, your iPad. It's probably not far from you right now. And I just wanna ask you a question. Do you have any open tabs on your device right now? I mean, if you were to go to Safari, if you were even to look at the apps that you have open, I bet that there are very few of you that only have one thing open. I bet if you look and you, and you slid that finger up and you look to see how many things are, I bet you've got some apps that are all running at the same time. I bet if you were to click on your browser, you would have some open tabs. Me too. I do it all the time. You know, it's kind of like that with conflict, We sometimes can leave open tabs in our life. We get this problem over here. Think of it as like a web page. It's a relationship. It's a dedicated relationship that we we have with someone. It's a friendship. Maybe it's a dating relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids. And we have a problem with it. And then instead of really resolving the conflict, we just open a new tab and we just start fresh. Open a new tab and we start fresh. And before we know it, I don't know if you know this, but in technology world, if you do that, if you leave lots of apps running on your phone at the same time, if you have lots of open tabs in your browsers, if you have things running all the time, 
these open tabs, they exhaust us. They exhaust us relationally, emotionally, spiritually, right? It's exhausting to be in unresolved conflict. And so if we can make an effort, if we can make that commitment tonight to peacemaking, then we really can, really can uh, fix some of this conflict. We can resolve that and we can live the gospel. Because let's just say this together. Let's just, if you wanna write it down, if you're taking notes tonight, write this phrase down. We're gonna let the gospel be the gospel. Write that down tonight. We're gonna let the gospel be the gospel. Because at the heart of the gospel is conflict resolution. Sin was in the world. Before that, God created everything good, but then sin came, messed everything up. Man and woman sinned. The consequences for that was separation from God. And then Jesus came to resolve that conflict because the light came into the world, the Gospel of John says, that when the light came into the world, that the darkness that was there could not overcome it. And we believe that about our conflict. Conflict in the church, even church hurt, is an opportunity to glorify God. Did you know that? That conflict could be an opportunity to show him that he has all glory and honor. You might say, well, how? That's a, you know, conflict is bad. Well, but we can let the gospel be the gospel in the ways that we deal with conflict. And so let's get into it tonight. We're gonna do four commitments to peacemaking. And I wanna kick it off with this first one. I invite you to write this down. We're gonna let the little things go. That's number one. Let the little things go. Because guess what? Not everything is a big thing. <laughs> Not every situation is quote unquote worth it. Let's get into the word tonight. Proverbs 19. I told you Matthew 18. We're going to get there in a second. Second half of the sermons on that. I'm just going to put these verses up on the screen in Proverbs because they're short. So just pay attention to the screens. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says this. A person's insight gives him patience and his virtue is to overlook an offense. Okay. That, so that sounds great, but let's, let's unpack this together. So what's the first word I want you to underline in your Bible tonight? Insight. Go ahead and underline that in your copy of God's Word. Highlight it on your iPad, however you're uh, viewing God's Word. Or just write that, write that word down in your notes. Insight. Insight. What are we talking about? Well, here's the deal. When we seek to understand, then we can be more understanding. Right? When we seek to understand one another, we can actually be more understanding. We see in the scripture, a person's insight gives him patience. You can't have patience with someone. You need patience to deal with conflict effectively, to resolve conflict. We've got to have patience because the first thing the scriptures tell us is that love is patient, right? 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, and the rest. And so when we have this insight, this understanding, here's what happens. When I understand where you've been, when I understand who I'm talking to, when I understand this conflict that we have, when I know their story, when I know their heart, I know their strengths and their weaknesses, and we have connected in some kind of meaningful way, then conflict resolution isn't so hard, and it allows me to let some things go. It allows me to say, you know what, I know they're working on that, we talked about that before. I know their past. I know that during their childhood, this and that happened. And that's kind of a trigger point for them. And so I can show some grace. 
Now, I think this is what we hear when we think about this concept of overlooking an offense. We're going to get to another scripture on that in a second. But here's the deal. Overlooking, overlooking, let's actually get back to that scripture real quick um, in, in 1911. His virtue is to overlook an offense. All right, so there's the key word overlook. Underline that one. And when we say overlook, here's what we're not saying. Overlook does not mean excuse. Okay? Overlook does not mean excuse. That's what some of us think of. We think, oh, if I'm going to overlook an offense, that means that I'm validating what they're doing. That means I'm saying what you did or what you said or what you thought, the assumption that you made that led to conflict, that that's okay. But that's not what we're saying. To overlook an offense is a virtue, the scriptures say. We're patient with people. We let the little things go. And guys, if we're honest, sometimes the little things do feel like big things. They do. They do in my life. They do in your life. But here's the deal. Our feelings do not always match reality. We talked about that a few weeks ago. How our emotions can lie to us. Are your feelings important? Are my feelings important? Yeah, you betcha they're important. But they do not always illustrate reality. They do not always reflect the truth. And so where do we go for truth? We go to the word. We go to the word of God for our source of truth, our exclusive source of truth. And so how do we know what's little? Well, we don't have a definitive list tonight, but here's just some guardrails for you. If, if it's just annoying, maybe someone's just being annoying. They're just doing something that's just irritating you. <clears throat> that's a little thing we can let go. That's not genuine conflict. Maybe it's a personality trait that it, it isn't objectively sinful. It's just not desirable. It's just something that, 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 that irritates you. Or maybe it's a weakness or insecurity that that person's working through. Again, if you walk a mile in someone's shoes, if we seek to understand, if we have coffee and dinner with one another, we can really connect in our relationships, then that's a lot easier. But let me just say this, and then we'll move to our second point tonight, our second encouragement, our second commitment, rather. If we, like this understanding that we're talking about, okay, it can only happen if we connect with one another on a deeper level. What happens in the church too often, especially in the South, is that we have this surface level politeness that we have in our culture, okay? Just be polite, just smile, just be, just, just be nice and kind to everybody. And it's good to be nice and kind, all right? But hear me. If all we do is stay at the surface in our relationships, if we never seek to understand, if we never take it to the next level, ask the deeper question. If all we do is stay at the surface, then we can't accomplish the letting the little things go because we really don't know each other that well. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our second commitment tonight. We're gonna move on here. I wanna encourage us to make the first move. You know, we would have a lot better experience dealing with conflict if we would simply make the first move. Not only about you, but A, I don't like being wrong, <laughs> okay? And then B, I don't always like admitting I'm wrong. It's not fun. Does anyone here think it's fun to admit that you're wrong? No, none of us do. It's, it, it is a rather uh, painful experience, but it is a good practice to exercise humility and say, you know what, I missed it there. But what are we talking about with making the first move? We're saying simply, here's, here's the first way that this could look like. It could look like, you're the first to say you're sorry. And what we're talking about here is taking the initiative 
in conflict resolution. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about reconciliation. We see this word in the Bible. It means to take a relationship that has been broken and to fix it and to mend it to, for, for there to be healing. And so here's something you can write down tonight. Ready? Here we go. Love makes the first move. Love makes the first move. How do we know that? Because that's what God has done. God has made the first move in relation to the gospel. Remember at the beginning, we said we're gonna let the gospel be the gospel. When God loved us so much, he sent Jesus, our starting place with the Lord. We said this a lot here at Anchor. Our starting place is his love. He loves you no matter where you are, how close or how far you are from him right now. His love for you is no different. He loves you so much. And so we say that love makes the first move. That's God through his gospel plan. But let's go to Matthew 5 real quick. A couple more verses. I promise we're getting to Matthew 18 in just a minute. But Matthew 5, just, just a couple of verses here. And Jesus addresses this issue of reconciliation. He does in many places. It's just a couple of verses. And he says this. So if you're offering your gift on the altar, so you're at church, you're bringing your, your offering to the Lord. You're ready to worship, right? You're ready to get in the word. You're ready to say hey to other people and pray for them and and we're ready to gather together, all right? So Jesus is saying, if you're offering your gift on the altar and then you remember, here's the key here, that your brother has something against you. You remember that someone has beef with you. All right, hang on to that. Verse 24, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, underline those two words in your Bible tonight. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Jesus says that worship can wait if you've got a messed up relationship that you can reconcile, okay? Now, does that mean until all relationships are reconciled in our life, then we don't come to church, we don't worship God? No, that's not what Jesus is saying, okay? We can't always take Jesus' teaching to the nth degree, literal, okay? Jesus uses hyperbole all the time. Hyperbole is simply exaggeration to make a point. We all do this, and it's an effective literary device. He does this over and over again in his teaching, all right? So what is Jesus saying? He says, prioritize it like you would worship to God, because what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second greatest is just like it, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. He said between these two, if we, can, if we can nail those two commandments, it pretty much sums up the whole entire law and precepts of our God. And so Jesus says that reconciliation is a priority in our relationships. To what degree? To where each of us make the first move. I mean, just imagine if we all committed to that tonight. We're all gonna make the first move. We all take the initiative. We, we don't kick the can down the road. So what does that mean? Well, it means, again, like we said at the beginning, that we don't leave open tabs, that we go and we're reconciled quickly, the word also says, to our brother or sister. Let's go on to Matthew 18. I promised we would get there. This is another angle of reconciliation. And this is the, the, um, the, hallmark passage on church discipline that we typically talk about, all right? That's a different sermon for another day, this word church discipline, but pretty much the scriptures tell us in three verses, generally speaking, how to handle conflict in the church. 
But this is a very specific situation. Actually, Matthew 18 is a very misunderstood passage. Here's a little, here's a little disclaimer, a little caveat. Matthew 18 is not for every situation, okay? There are truths in Scripture that are true for every situation. The truth does not change. The truth remains, all right? But application of the truth can be unique to different situations. You tracking with me? So that is what wisdom is. Wisdom is applying the truth. Truth is truth. It doesn't change. God's word is not malleable. It's not liquid. It doesn't change to fit the culture or any of that. But the application of Matthew 18 is quite unique. This is for personal sin. You can jot this down if you want. Personal sin from one believer to another. One believer to another. One person has sinned and doesn't know their fault. We're going to read this. The other has been sinned against and knows the fault and in love goes to rebuke with that approach. Let's read these verses together. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him, key words here, in private. So the first confrontation in conflict is one-on-one between the offender and the offendee. Guys, if we would simply embrace this one verse, Matthew 18, 15, if there's a problem, right? If there's a problem, who should we be talking it through with? That one person, that one person. Oftentimes, if we would just go one-on-one and just talk it out, seek to understand everything we've said so far, right? Love makes the first move. We're gonna let the little things go. We're gonna seek to understand. We're gonna use all those tools and all the other tools that we see in scripture, right? Be patient and kind, we're not gonna keep a record of wrongs, all the other things that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. But if we would simply do this and we would refuse to gossip, we would refuse to say, hey man, you wouldn't believe what they said to me. You wouldn't believe what they did to me. Can you believe that? That's jacked up, isn't it? And then what happens is through those conversations, because what happens is you start confiding in like six different people that you all trust to keep it confidential. And then guess what happens? They tell someone that they trust. They tell their their confidential people that they trust are gonna keep it low. And before you know it, you've got a gossipy mess. We need to go one-on-one when we have issues within the church to one another. And I don't have a any kind of measurable statistic for you, but I would, do, I would be willing to bet that close to 90% of issues would be resolved if we would simply do this. I'll go with 90% on that. Well, let's listen to uh, the rest of 15. Here's what happens. This is key. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. So what's the point of the one-on-one? Is it to win the argument? No. It's to win the heart. Our goal is not to win an argument. Our goal is not to be right, to assert our rightness. It's to win our brother or sister. So we're after the heart, the same that Jesus was. What happens when that fails? Well, if you won't listen, take one or two others with you. Why? Why, to to intimidate? No, Jesus tells us. By the testimony or two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. This was established in the Old Testament as a principle 
as a wise principle to establish testimonies. So that way one person who's flying off the handle can't just make up a bunch of crazy stuff about somebody that you gotta actually have sometimes some witnesses step in so that, again, highlight every fact may be established. Because what's the most important thing in conflict resolution? Establishing the facts. What is really going on here? What gets in the way of that? What damages the wound like we talked about last week? Assumptions. Assumptions abound in conflict. And every time I have made an assumption, I will fess up to it. Every time I've made an assumption about someone, nearly every time, I might've been right a couple of times, but 99.9% of the time I was wrong. I assumed incorrectly what they had done. And so we don't make assumptions. We go to establish the truth. Just correlate fact with truth because that's what we're really after, right? We love the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We wanna get after the facts. But what happens? Our feelings sometimes get in the way. And facts and feelings don't always match up like we said earlier, do they? And so we gotta strive for the truth. Now, verse 17, if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. Because in rare cases, this is the appropriate next step. Jesus says, if one-on-one, if a private confrontation and reconciliation and, and rebuke does not work, and if the two or three is failing to work, then accountability is the next step. Then this person needs to be held accountable by the church. And so we do that. We have a process for that here at Anchor Church. If that were to happen, the process we follow is really this scripture for this particular situation. And then if he doesn't pay attention to even the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. So what does that mean? If, if, if reconciliation fails, if this process doesn't work in this particular situation because this person that has sinned is not going to admit they're wrong, they're not gonna be humble, they're not gonna repent, if that happens then what happens? We let the gospel be the gospel. We love them. But this, the scriptures say, treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. You know, tax collectors were like the least like people in this culture. Gentiles were not in the nation of Israel. They were not, they were not uh, in God's family. But God has made it clear from the very beginning, even though Gentiles are not in the Jewish nation of Israel, they are still loved. And Israel was always supposed to be a light to the Gentiles so they would accept Yahweh as Lord, creator, sustainer, and savior. And so, what does this mean? It means if all else fails, then there may be a change of the nature of a relationship between someone in the church, or maybe even in your relationships. That relationship might change in the way that it looks, but our love does not change. And our capacity to show understanding does not change. And our capacity for grace doesn't change either. So let's move on to number three. We're gonna value the interests of others. Can we do that tonight? Write write that down. We're gonna value the interests of others. Because I can tell you a recipe for disaster in church hurt, a recipe for disaster in conflict resolution is to make it all about you. If you wanna have terrible relationships in your life and just have every relationship falling apart all the time, just make it all about you. Be as selfish as humanly possible. 
Don't worry about what others say or think or feel. We get some of that flavor in our culture occasionally. You know, this, uh, this uh, tell it like it is, cavalier, I don't care. I'm just gonna speak my mind 24-7. If you don't like it, there's the door. That's not what the scriptures tell us. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, a couple of verses here in chapter two. And here's what Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. So one more time, in our Southern dialect, it ain't about me. It ain't about me. My life is not about me. Conceit, what does that mean? It means I think of myself higher than I ought to. It means I'm arrogant. Because pride can blind us to conflict resolution. Pride is also a recipe for disaster. What's the antidote to pride? Paul tells us. But in, what's that word? Humility. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of who? Others, exactly. This is the power of negotiation. Sometimes overlook fails. We try to overlook the offense. This doesn't really need to be overlooked. It's subjective sin. It's, it's a problem. We need to reconcile. We try to reconcile. We go through the stages and phases of reconciliation. Man, we're just not agreeing on things. We're not seeing things eye to eye. So the next step is to negotiate well, to negotiate, to try to work things out, to try to do what we call give and take, or this word we use called compromise. Compromise, it's not about me. I'm going to try to give, I'm gonna sacrifice. I'm gonna lay down some of my preferences and wants, and the other side's gonna lay down their preferences and wants, and we're gonna meet in the middle, we say, right? And so this is what we have in view here. So in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests. And really what is implied here is not solely to his own interests. This doesn't mean you neglect all your interests, that you don't care about your health or your well-being at all. It doesn't mean that to that extreme. What Paul is implying here is that someone is looking solely to their own interests or primarily to their own interests. But he says this at the very end. He says, rather to the interests of others. Now here's the question that we all have. Doesn't this make me a doormat, right? If I live my life this way, doesn't this just make me a doormat? Isn't this gonna set me up for people to take advantage of me? And yeah, it does make you very vulnerable, okay? It makes us vulnerable, but here's the deal. It doesn't make you a doormat, it makes you a servant. Doesn't make you a doormat, it makes you a servant. And what did Jesus say when he came? He said, I didn't come to be served, even though he deserves it. He's Lord of all, savior of the world. He said, I came to serve. And he wants us as Jesus followers to do the same thing, to go and serve others. So let's make a commitment tonight, church. In our relationships with one another, let's not be selfish, let's not be prideful, let's be humble, and let's care more about the other person and their interests than we do about just getting what we want. Not to the neglect of yourself entirely, but to the promotion of someone else 
When you could totally care about your own agenda more, but you don't, you sacrifice, you lay it down. Again, we let the gospel, what did we say earlier? We let the gospel be the gospel, right? So that's what it looks like in this setting. All right, lastly tonight, Jesus is challenging us to be generous in forgiveness. Part of Jesus' message all across this whole teaching, if you were to sum up a huge theme, is that we should be generous people. Generous in love, generous in grace, generous in truth, generous in forgiveness. And so let's go to Matthew 18. Again, we're gonna keep going. Everyone usually stops, like we start in Matthew 15, we end in 17, and we know that part, but very few people keep going in Matthew 18. So we're gonna, we're gonna keep on going, and we're gonna actually skip down to verse 21, all right? Then Peter approached him, as Jesus, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, this is Jesus' way of saying, your forgiveness is not limited to a specific number or quantity. Because it is not about the quantity it is not about the limit in our minds. Strike one, strike two, strike three. You follow me? We, we, we have this maybe different, different uh, opinions about that. Well, I'll go to this point. Well, my fuse is this long. Jesus says, no, we should be 70 times seven means we should be unlimited in our capacity to forgive, okay? Forgiveness is very complicated, but forgiveness is also very simple at the same time. Every situation's different. Obviously, more severe, um, severe situations and, and offenses. The forgiveness is maybe, maybe a little more complicated to apply. But at the heart of it is the simplicity of this, that we forgive as we have been forgiven. And I want to end tonight with a parable. It's a parable that we also don't read a whole lot, but it fits perfectly into what we're talking about tonight. Jesus tells a story that drives home this point right after he tells Peter and the disciples this and all who are hanging around listening. He tells this parable and it's too important for us to miss. I'm just gonna read several verses here and tell this story for us. So what does Jesus say after 70 times seven, this unlimited forgiveness capacity? Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything had to be sold to pay the debt. And at this, the servant fell face down before him and said, you patient with me, I'll pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him his loan. Now that servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. And at this, his servant fell face down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. 
When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, listen to this, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. So what happens in the midst of hurt and conflict? Well, there's sin there. That sin racks up a debt. And there must be payment for sin, the Bible tells us. There must be payment for sin. For the wages of sin, Romans 6 says, is Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. It's separation. It is a severing of relationship. And so what happens many times in our relationships, especially in church hurt, is when we are hurt, we want to create a prison for those who have hurt us. It is said many times, hurting people hurt people. And as much as, I don't, I don't think any of us in here would want that to be true about ourselves, right? We don't wanna be that person. But sometimes we get there. I know I've been there. I know sometimes I have been hurt and I have wished hurt upon someone else in a sinful way and I've had to repent of that time after time again. But what is Jesus making incredibly clear? Jesus is saying there's a direct correlation between our capacity to forgive, our willingness to forgive, and the Father's willingness to forgive us. Those are incredibly sobering words, and we cannot brush past them tonight. We're forced to face those words. And so what needs to happen? Well, we have to make the active choice to forgive. Let's talk about a couple of words as we close. There are different Greek words. The Bible was originally written in Greek in the New Testament. And there are two specific words that I want to point out that illustrate forgiveness. The first one is afiemi. The visual for this, every Greek word kind of has a visual to it that loses its touch when you translate to English. But afiemi means to let go. It's like if you had a helium balloon in your hand and that balloon was to fly away. You were to let go of the balloon. It would fly way up into the sky. And as time went on, it would get smaller and smaller. And I want to encourage those of you tonight, whether you're in the room with us or whether you're watching online, I want to encourage you to search your heart, to ask God to help you, because we can't do this in our own strength, friends. We have to have his help. We need to ask God for the strength to help us let go of bitterness and of some of our hurt. Not to say it never happened, but to go, I know that happened. But I also know that the same sin that was done against me, that Jesus died for that sin on the cross. 
That's what we believe as Christians, that Jesus died on the cross. He paid for the sins of the world. He paid for that person's sin that hurt you, and he paid for your sin too. He paid for my sin. So when I hurt people, Jesus covered that sin as well, that if we would believe, if we would turn from our sin and trust in him as Lord and Savior, then we could have eternal life and abundant life, and we could receive the Father's forgiveness through the work of the Son, by the power of the Spirit. And what our lives are supposed to be, friends, get this as we close, it's supposed to be a picture of the gospel. We're supposed to let the gospel be the gospel. And so sometimes we need to let go. The last picture of forgiveness that we'll talk about tonight is not to let something go. It's this other word, karitsomai. It means to give favor unconditionally. It means that no strings attached, I'm going to give you favor. So once to let go of something, to relinquish and let something fly away, to let the memory of our hurt and pain get smaller and smaller over time as we heal through a process, because healing is a process, it's rarely a moment, and that healing process goes on, but then now we're talking about, I'm going to extend to you, again, active, forgiveness is active, I'm going to give to you unconditional favor. And in some ways, what's happening is that we are joining Christ. Christ paid for sin. He's the one savior for all. But we are alongside Christ, not paying for their sin, but we are acknowledging that the gospel is the gospel. And I am going to let that happen. That I'm going to give you unconditional favor. So as we wrap up tonight, I wanna ask you, Couple questions. Number one, do you need God's forgiveness in this place? The Bible says we all do. Romans 3.23 says we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Sin has separated us from God. In the beginning, God created everything good. Sin jacked everything up and we were separated with God. The second we made a conscious choice to sin in our lives, even just one little sin, as we call them, separate us from God. And so there are some of you sitting in this room, you are, you are currently separated from God, but you can be brought back to him tonight through faith in Christ alone, through his grace. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. So how does that work? Well, like we said, it's not a work you do, it's a, it's a heart turn, it's called repentance. We look at our sin in our life and we say, I don't want that anymore. I used to want This, I used to go this way and I'm going to turn and head this way. So I'm gonna turn from my sin and then I'm gonna put my confidence in what Jesus did on the cross. I'm gonna trust what he did on our behalf because he hung on that cross, he bled and died to pay for our sin and then he said, it is finished. And that meant that the payment was accepted. And so the question is, do you need to accept his free gift of salvation and receive eternal life tonight. That's what the scriptures say. If you believe in, if, if you confess with your mouth, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead, then you will be saved. And so we invite you tonight, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he didn't just die on a cross, that he was resurrected. And that because Jesus was resurrected, there's hope for our relationship with God. There's also hope for our relationship with one another, that any relationship can be resurrected as well. And so that's the second question I have. What relationship in your life needs to be resurrected? 
And you might be sitting there saying, there's just no way. There's just no way that that could happen. And I will quote Jesus like we did last week, with man, you're right, it, it is impossible. But with God, anything is possible. And he can heal your wounds, friends. Ask him tonight. He's a healing God. Say, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but just say the word and I shall be healed. Say the word and that relationship shall be healed. Help me know what next steps I need to take to resolve this conflict. Maybe there's something we need to overlook. Maybe there's something we need to actively make the first move to reconcile. We need to pick up the phone and call someone. We need to shoot a text over. We need to make the first move, take, take initiative in reconciliation. Maybe there's some negotiation that needs to happen in our lives. Maybe we need to come to terms and meet in the middle and compromise. Or maybe the answer is simply this. I'm going to make the active choice. We're going to make the active choice to just say, you know what? I didn't get the I'm sorry I wanted. I didn't hear the words I wanted to hear. But I choose to forgive you because of the greatness and glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we invite you to those two things tonight. Receive God's forgiveness. Extend God's forgiveness to others. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your forgiveness for us, for your great mercy. You have given us a great gift called grace through Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. We thank you for the judgment you've withheld through your mercy. We deserve your wrath, yet again on the cross with Christ, your wrath was poured upon him in our place. And we're so grateful and thankful for that. It is overwhelming to think about that. Think about how much we deserve and what we have received instead is your favor and salvation for our souls. So tonight, Lord, I pray that you would draw someone to a relationship with yourself through Jesus. Help someone right now, Lord, who knows they need to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Do so. For everyone who calls upon your name, Lord, you say in the word will be saved. But Lord, help, help our church tonight extend forgiveness in the different hurts and pains and strained relationship, broken relationships that we have in our life. Help us actively pursue the forgiveness that you're leading us to pursue. God, just work in people's hearts right now and in their different situations. I couldn't possibly know, Lord, what everyone's been through, but I know that you do and that your Holy Spirit will lead and guide us in the ways that we should go. Heal our wounds in this room, Lord. We pray for healing for anyone who's ready to start that process tonight, to actively extend forgiveness, to, to let the gospel be the gospel. Lord, help us do that because this is so, it's so simple, but it's so difficult. Lord, help us do things we can't do on our own. You tell us that if we trust in you, that we'll do greater things. We'll do greater things with the help of your spirit. So we lift all this up in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more, be sure to click the subscribe button for more upcoming episodes from Anchor Church. Or visit us at www.anchorchurchcsra.com.